All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Minority Mavericks. And this is your host, Angel Leon. And this is the show where we tell the stories of all minority entrepreneurs, founders, and investors of this world. And in today's episode, we have Eugene Ong. He's a founder and chief investment officer at Vision Capital. He's a Singaporean investor, and I'm really happy to have him on the show today, bringing a totally different global perspective to the show. So thank you to be, uh, for being here, Eugene, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Angel, for inviting me on the show. It's a great and great pleasure to be here. Thank you, Eugene. I appreciate it. So let's start with the you know with the basics first, just so that our audience get to know uh, you know who you are first. So uh, could you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and uh, your journey as a Singaporean investor, and you know how has your experience shaped the way you see the global markets? Great question uh, to start, Angel. So I think just to give some background, so I'm a Singapore-based uh, individual, global investor. I do invest mostly in two main areas. So I do mostly publicly listed stocks via Vision Capital and early-stage startups via Vision Capital Ventures. So the mandate that I look at really is global, but I think right now due to the most attractive opportunities, I see them mostly in the US and some in Europe. Now, when I, I do both publicly listed, I've been doing publicly listed stocks for about close to six years now, just really investing in mostly the most technologically uh, disruptive companies, typically at the end trying to uh, serve a very big market. And what I do is I, t- I try to take a look at a lot also at a lot of early stage startups. And the good thing about early stage startups is that it helps me to kind of give me a glimpse of the future by seeing a lot of what are what's technologically disrupting right now, what's uh, you know what's potentially a glimpse of what the future is going to be right? anywhere from 5, 10, 20 years from now. I think that helps me to, to give me a, a good okay. perspective. I see startups anywhere from uh, Asia, US and Europe as well. Uh, I think that really helps to do so. I've also written a book on uh, investing that was published during COVID that is actually titled Vision Investing, How We Beat Wall Street and You Can Too. Uh, it's a book that basically basically trying to try to say that the individual investor truly uh, has been taught a myth that uh, we were not able to beat the market and uh, the best way is to actually just do indexing which is actually a great thing actually most investors should probably do in, uh, indexing or investing via what we call exchange traded funds or ETFs okay. but I do think that with a uh, very possible framework and philosophy that one can actually invest in single stocks not just not, not even in, in index investing and uh, can actually beat the market. So I've been really just trying to be that living example uh, of which one can actually do so. Um, for me, where I started off my 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 whole university degree, I actually started off with uh, with Singapore Management University, which is SMU. So I started in, in economics and finance. And the thing about economics and finance is is that with economics, it really helps to get you thinking about both the macro level and the micro level of economics. And it's really about this observation of many repeatable patterns that arise from how incentives and human behavior, right? I think incentives is very powerful because incentives can yeah. get many people to to move and, 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 and to move accordingly, right? And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's such an important. And that really helps me in understanding the world of investing because you have always constantly... The only thing, that one thing that doesn't change is greed, greed and, cycles of greed and fear. Um, and that generally helps me to think about, about, about markets quite a fair bit. Okay. I think I'm, I'm in, based, in, based on in Asia and of course in, in, in Singapore, which is right smack in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. 
I do get to see quite a fair bit of cultures. So in Singapore, there are a lot of foreigners, for example, and also being educated in the English language as my primary language, and then Chinese as my secondary language. So I think where I have here is a very unique spot, a pot spot really, basically a bridge, kind of like almost a bridge from the the east to the west. And I've been traveling to many countries since I was very, very young. So as a student really of a keen history, uh, you know, very keen interest in history and financial crisis, I think it really helps me to form this very nice perspective of global markets across both the East and West, understanding through markets, understanding through behavior, uh, which consistent. And then now trying to be more on the technological forefront, looking at just all kinds of, of startups and, uh, and going back into the, the publicly listed stocks as well. Thank you for that, Eugene. That's very great. And um, thank you for the background. Uh, it's really appreciated. And, you know, the, the amount of uh, culture that, that you bring to the table, it's amazing. Um, and and I had the uh, the chance myself, actually, to be in Singapore uh, numerous times uh, when I was in the in the Navy. Uh, so I, I also saw, you know, exactly what you were talking about, referring about, you know, the diversity uh, of Singapore, right? There's a lot of, like, not just Singaporeans, but there's uh, it's that bridge literally between the East and the West. So um, very interesting that you mentioned that. So in what ways do you believe uh, your experiences as an investor in Singapore or just talking about the Singaporean market, for example, how can you provide a unique insights, for example, for entrepreneurs in diverse markets, including here in the US? I think one of the biggest things is, I think if you look at all these diverse markets, right? One thing that really stands out is first, the language, um, the culture, and really understanding both the Western and the Eastern mindset, right? I think when we think about it, like the Eastern mindset, it's very ingrained in the family, very ingrained in in, uh, in, in, in a central government, for example. Whereas the Western have been taught to be more democratic, right? And, and I think that's vastly different. I think in Singapore, we see it in quite a very interesting bit because Singapore, for example, uh, was a former British colony. And then mm-hmm. after, after, World War, after World War II, uh, we went to join Malaysia. And after we separated from Malaysia and then started to form our own independent state. But then we, what we did was we relied, for example, on a lot of the, uh, the, the global many, uh, MNCs, what we call like multinational companies, to come in basically to set up businesses. And that's how we led our export growth. So we have always been generally very pro-West. But at the same time, we are deep in the East, right? In the, in, in the East area, for example, in Southeast Asia. And that's where in Asia we, we are really focused. So if you can actually can you go back there and, you, and you, if you come back, it's always understanding history. How governments came to be, um, you know, what the parties are, what's their stance. And we combine that with economic and political history of the many different states when you try to understand the country. That's always very, very helpful because when you understand that, that mindset, what how a country came to be, um, you know, what's what's that, that traditional trend? It, ha- it helps us a lot from the standpoint. So generally what I do is that I try to also be on the lookout for kind of new and large emerging trends that mm. are likely going to be highly destructive and could actually persist for years, if not decades. I think that that's really what I'm consistently looking out for. I try to also look out for uh, something that's quite technologically forward in, in terms of publicly listed stocks, as I mentioned just now. It gives me a very good mental model because, for example, the way that I do is kind of like practice this my philosophy, which is called vision investing, which is to basically invest in companies and startups that best reflect our vision for the future that is changing and shaping the world for the better, right? Yeah. So if you think something like those those things, we're really just trying to find 
what's going to be in in that in that future in that in that vision, and try to find you know what we think right now have done well, and what we think that yeah. in the future that could could do well. So I think with all those traits right that have kind of focused on the public space, I'm trying to get at least like basically I think only about one percent, for example, of stocks in the public space are worth investing, and similarly one percent or even smaller than that of you know, startups, for example, that are worth investing. I'm trying to get towards a, a set of traits. Right. That I think will get me towards this one percent, and so for example, I look at a lot. Of, I try to find like, for example, even in startups, trying to find like, um, what are some technologically strong founders? Have they had experience with solving a problem? Right? Have have they have they have, have they had this unique experience and insight? For example, um, are they solving a typically zero to one very highly disruptive kind of problem that no one else is solve, solving? I like those kind of problems. I think Peter Thiel uh, wrote a book about it, and I think that that's a great. Um, spark for me in terms of that overall standpoint is the product really technologically advanced does it have patents is it something that can be protected or is it something that can be easily copied right Mm -hmm. Um, is it supported by a potentially large market you can be doing something very good in a single market uh, but if it's not scalable uh, it's going to be very tricky and if I can add about this right so if you look at it for example you find startups in Southeast Asia for this standpoint typically like in Singapore we have a population of about 7 plus maybe 8 million or so it's, it's a small population the the, temp, the total addressable market is not large so if you try to be a startup in a, in a country or just serving one country of 7 to 8 million um, you know a lot of VCs for example we are looking out for um, investments that go up 100 right from 20 million valuation to at least 1 billion dollar valuation and, and more right and to get the 1 billion dollar valuation you, your, your market size has to be large so a lot of the, my framework for example my mentor model for VCs for example of startups in Southeast Asia is that if you're not doing Indonesia alone right it's not going to be because Indonesia is the biggest country in Southeast Asia if you don't do Indonesia you have to, or Indonesia and Vietnam you kind of have to do Southeast Asia. So if you are a specific, um, you know, having a specific product or service that's just in one country or not, it's not going to be sufficient. So I think we've got to think about it at a broader level. Can it be scaled down even despite different languages, despite different cultures um, and how, how it attracts? So I think ultimately we also look for very durable and attractive unique economics, especially only, I mean, when it's when it's successful. I think that's ultimately key. They don't make profits. Um, even though you can have a lot of revenues, uh, the, the the cost the cost per acquisition of the customer is not, not going to be attractive enough. Uh, eventually, right. you know you can't just keep pumping uh, funding and and, and, to, and to and to grow to grow those companies. So generally, those kind of like traits that we look out for, and I think a lot of VCs also look out for very similar ways. You know, and I think it helps to think about helps to think about entrepreneurs when they go into such um, diverse markets, especially in a very geographically different area like in Southeast Asia, right? We, um, if you yeah. go to Europe, for example, you guys, um, I think you're geographically, you're, you're all landlocked together. It's like you can just get a car, you know, get, get a train and you can get to a different state. In Southeast Asia, we typically have to fly or if not by, by, by sea, right? And flying is the most, most uh, the easiest way. So actually, geographically, it's, it's seemingly like in the same spot, but it's actually seemingly very, very diverse. And that's why a lot of the cultures um, and stuff comes back to it. Interesting, very interesting. And there's there's a lot of different things that, you know, taking it from the product perspective, right, that things that need to connect on that end. Um, but there's also a lot of navigating through different um, environments, such as, you know, regulatory environments, Right, which is a, a very significant aspect of what you do as an investor or, or just in general international investing. Um, so how, how have you successfully managed to um, 
the challenges these challenges presented to you as a by by diverse regulatory landscape so is there any challenges that you have faced right that uh, you have faced because of any kind of diversity or inclusion uh, that has you know has taken part of that uh, regulatory landscape I, I think the way to think about diversity or, or different regulatory environments so different In, like for example in Asia, diff- the, the different regulatory environments are typically really being driven by the political parties, the governments that are led. I think that's usually the, the case. So understanding what's their stance, how they are thinking about it. So for example, we have investments in China. But due to the nature of, of you know, for example, is ring, now China is being run by Xi Jinping, right, who's into his um, second term. Mm. Um, and generally that's not the case because China what's what they want is they don't want kind of like a like a dictator of sorts and they want uh, a rolling um, uh, say a, ro- a rolling president comes in and and, ru- and rules the country in a certain sense right and I think that changes dramatically uh, the different aspects and we have to be aware that ultimately what they want to for example like in China they want to get be, they want to get a, the, the people to, to be better and that's why they have had issues of, for example on, on education and on gaming yeah. and, and even on the on the tech startups right China's a bit more authoritarian so like if you get too many powers coming in like a lot of the early a lot of the, the tech startups who had gained a bit of power like Alibaba Tencent you know and some other yeah. ones they started yeah. curbing some of the power and that's just traditionally the sense of the current existing uh, existing um Uh, I would say the existing government, right? And and with that, sometimes it gives you perspective because that means um, the powers that is very different. Like it's not as democratic. For example, as in the US, if you, if they can be businesses can be quite powerful, but whereas in China, sometimes if they start ex- exerting certain influences, um, the government can come in and step in and step in very very heavily yeah. because it's heavily heavily regulated. So I think that's really the differentiation mindset that we need to have. Um, in in the, in this area, I think that's very very helpful. So I think the yeah. way to really think about it is knowing this entire framework, entire environment. How how is your product and service is going to be positioned? Right, is it something that threatens the the existing incumbents? Right, um, understanding the market where you're serving. You know, how is your product or service going to be positioned? Who are your customers? Is it a good to have or must have? And typically from like the regulatory standpoint, is it a win-win or a win-lose kind of thing, right? Is it something that's, for example, gambling, right? There's a, right, typically right. a win-lose, right? You're getting from, 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 for example, the citizens to get it to you, right? Or yeah. is it a win-win, right? Where, where some, or like, I mean, if I give an example of win-lose, for example, it could be like gaming, right? Where you're taking away people's time, right? Taking away their leisure time, which they could enjoy, but also, um, and putting it into, into a game. So you generally reduces productivity, right? Right. Um, so that's typically like a win-lose kind, and that's and if you if you go to extremes, government generally don't don't like it, and they can they could even tax it more, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's also some some ways to think about it. So if you think about your product from that standpoint, um, it's very it's a very helpful or say mental model or framework to get it. So that typically I also also prefer a lot of businesses that are creating a lot of value, right? And more right. win-win type of value. And I think if you create a lot of more of this win-win type of value, your customers will eventually come. And your supporters will come right. as well. Definitely, definitely, and and I, I'm guessing that um, like culture, right, is a big part um, of of all this, and and it plays uh, probably a, a very crucial role, right, in uh, in the business interactions that you have uh, with these founders and all these companies. Um, how how do you approach uh, understanding 
and adapting to all these various cultural contexts, right? When when you're making your investment decisions. Yep. I think one way to start first as, as an investor, the way to think about it is firstly invest with your circle of competence. So like for example, I've not traveled into to Africa. I mean, I've been in South Africa, you know, uh, but I've not really understood the entire South Africa or Middle East part. So generally, I tend to kind of avoid even though I tend to like to look at it. Okay. Um, Asia, Asia, Europe, US is generally some of the areas I've been more familiar with. So I think generally as someone, I guess firstly start off with focusing, you know, where's your circle of competence, right? Knowing where what you're familiar with, right? And of course, if you're not familiar with something, being on the ground is generally my, my favorite. So what I do is I like to kind of like research and learn learn about history. I just, I like I love reading guidebooks, for example, that really tells me about the history about a place um, from the beginning. That tells me, oh, you know, how how is a culture been and, and what's what's leading to that place. And then I'll try to really after doing all that research, you know, understanding all the entire history. Go and really go in. Nothing beats going into the country, right? And and just immersing, immersing yourself, visiting, visit the country, experience, um, you know, the local lifestyle. Do the things mm. that the local the locals do, not not something that the tourists do, right? Um, try to meet up with people, meet up with local entrepreneurs. Try to get the different viewpoints, uh, get get a diverse viewpoints, right? Uh, right? Across across that, I think that really helps. And try to notice and even understand the consumer behavior. Sometimes consumer behaviors can react quite differently in, in different countries. And being that firsthand, sometimes getting a sense of how they, how they, how they think about certain things um, can help a lot. And mm-hmm. I think the, way, the other two things I'll think about is also being, just being flexible and, and, and adapt. Like typically what works in one country doesn't work in another. In another. Like if you could try, say, a, a specific strategy in, in, in Singapore in Singapore it might not it might not totally work in, in Indonesia just because different aspects of, of of ways to think about think about it. So I think we just gotta be flexible um, about about dealing with different business environments. So like for example if you go to a business in in, in, in Indonesia for example, if there are no um, a better way to say that rather than bribes is to like you know they, they need a lot of like say quid pro quo kind of kind of arrangements in order for for it's a bit like in Chinese Chinese what we call guanxi which is um, you help me I help you the kind of okay. thing is, yeah. okay. so that kind of thing is, um, helps to build a lot of partnerships right and when someone knows that you, you're going to help me now and I'm going to help you late, later um, those kind of um, things that drives a lot of the of those, of those relationships so we got to be more familiar or in Singapore for example it could be just much more democratic right if you're great you're, you're good you know you're very meritocratic driven um, that helps also. but as a result that's why in Singapore for example you know our our, our political uh, say bribery and all are much significantly lower than the rest but it's just very different it's different ways of how um, culturally we are and we got to be just very flexible with that um, the last one I had was just building on this is really about building relationships. I try to build long-term win-win relationships rather than those short-term gains or those win-lose kind. Um, build personal relationships, things that are ones that you can you can focus on. And and, and I would dare say that actually um, you don't need to build many relationships. Build a few ones and build it really deep. Uh, and I think if those can be very successful ones, I think it can help can help you a lot. And the last, and just to adding to this point on building relationships is start out often by giving first. And because in in Asia, if you don't give first, or you don't give some insights first, or you don't help people give certain things first, um, people do are quite reserved and they generally don't 
don't don't give you back that right so i think generally give first and eventually when someone when they come back you can always ask and you can take later so i think that's uh, those are the three things that i would of the many things that i could share that i think uh, right. they're quite beneficial in terms of understanding this cultural cultural aspect very very interesting um it, it to me is very appealing the fact of just you know building their relationships and just uh what you mentioned about you know you visiting all the conscious for example and trying to understand their culture, their food, their people, right? Uh, meeting with entrepreneurs from those countries to understand those perspectives, the needs from those, right? Uh, from that specific market, what people are really wanting, right? Um, from right from there, not taking it from you know someone else's mouth. So I really appreciate that. And as part of this show, right, it's bringing the the minority perspective into into context, and you know that that variation of. Of, of looking for more information about how they do things or what they need, et cetera, right? I, I feel it's all part of that uh, interconnection of, of diversity and inclusion that needs to happen across, right, all industries uh, in some sort of way so that um, there's there's a more uh, diverse and, and inclusive ecosystem globally. Because the, the global economy, right, is increasingly connect, uh, interconnected and it's just uh, like never before. Have you had any... Or can you share maybe any examples uh, or lessons learned uh, from your international collaborations, right? That that highlight the importance of fostering these global connections in in what you do as an investor. I think this is one of the. Well, it's a very beautiful question, Angel. So and let me try to try to to share how I think about this. Um, sure. There's this concept of serendipity, which is um, the occurrence of an event seemingly by chance in inverted commas. Uh, in a very happy and, find it, and beneficial way, right? And often this happens through what we call so-called random encounters uh, and, and via networking events. And I, and I, I like this because sometimes you get to really meet people. Um, the result in some very good idea sharing or even partnerships. And and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the thing about this is that typically you meet a lot of people, but all you need to do is just meet a few. And sometimes I just tell myself when I go to a networking event or, or travel to a very far place and to do that, I say, you know, if I, I go somewhere, spend a couple of hours, if I don't meet anyone, there's no downside. But sometimes if I meet someone, just one, two, three, someone, three persons, right, at best, and if I can get to know them very well and very useful, that, that few hours is, is, well, is well worth it. So to give you two examples, um, in 2002, I've attended... Uh, manual of ideas is basically MOI, so it's a bit of a group and community of of, of uh, investors, and okay. I attended this this event called the Zurich Project, basically in Zurich, and and uh, this was really I got to spend some time with I think almost almost there were a total of sixty attendees from all in, basically investors and emerging fund managers from all around the world. Uh, a lot of them are already running their own funds. I have not been running my own fund, just mostly running through my own capital at the moment. So we've been trying to explore on that front and it was very, it was such a great event, um, you know, just trying to meet and speak to everyone. And to give you an example, right, there's one investor called Christopher Christopher Tsai, um, who basically runs Tsai Capital out, 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 of, out of the US. Um, and his <laughs> father is basically the legendary Gerard, Gerard Tsai. Um, and and where, where it was... Um, I attended the event and of course Chris was one of the guys who wanted to meet and we we're having a lunch a networking session and I saw and I saw Chris sitting there just all alone by himself and then what I did was I literally went up to to him uh, and asked if I could sit beside him and it was mm-hmm. and and of course over lunch we had I had a full two hours to speak to speak to him 
and it was it was such a delightful <laughs> conversation and you can sometimes you know through this and and I've been I've met Chris a couple of times many times that we have always been he has always been very helpful in helping me giving tips and 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 and, and, and almost 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 like a like a mentor in helping me as well so sometimes right. you know those those kind of uh, opportunities can just grant so many um so many connections right the other one that I attended was for example was the, the Berkshire Hathaway AGM in Omaha this year um, it was okay. great to see Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger for the first time but unfortunately Charlie Munger just passed away last week um, but I think it was really just nice to hear them speak in person trying to hear their wisdom and also um, the you think the best event is the Berkshire Hathaway AGM but it's actually the really, the really ma- many small events or side events that, that happened throughout the couple of days so we're there early and, and through all these side events you get to meet many of the, of the folks um, you might be you know speaking digitally or, or chatting with all this well but really getting to speak them, meet them in person and nothing meets um, meeting people in person and when you meet in person you get to really connect at such a deep level and sometimes uh, you renew those those friendships as well. so you, I think as, sometimes I say this, that have serendipity um, sometimes you have events and uh, networking events and sometimes you know attendees and, and sometimes you might get to meet people business partners investors or even just um, like-minded people that you think you know they could help you in your in your journey you, you never know and I think that's something that I truly um, like and always advocate for very great uh, Eugene yeah definitely connections uh, it's everything right and uh in, in this in this world in this industry specifically you know in the tech industry and overall startups uh, you know uh, connections are are what gets you there right and 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 I feel that again there's there's a disconnect right now in in some industries and most industries right between uh, minority groups um, and we're trying to close that gap somehow right and I believe most most of it Eugene is, is it's education right um and and even proving and showing right showcasing these opportunities which again at the end of the day this is mo uh, uh the goal of this show right which is to to showcase stories just like yours uh, eugene of of people that um, come from a minority background but that have been able to you know succeed given given the the different uh type of issues that we have here with uh, diversity and inclusion so uh i really appreciate having you in the show eugene uh, but before we close out here, um, you know, looking ahead in the future, um, what are your plans as an investor? Or do you have any other new or future plans, uh, something you're working on? And then also, if you can maybe give some advice uh, to any aspiring minority entrepreneurs, investors or founders out there uh, that aspire as well to navigate the global business just like you. I think for me, I've been mostly investing my own capital and uh, really receiving numerous requests uh, for people, for a lot of the, the investors to, in, to invest alongside me. So uh, something it's an opportunity that I'm looking to explore, especially in the, in the, in the coming coming year, for basically starting, starting my own fund, accepting, accepting ex, external capital as well. So I'll probably start off something that, that with on the public list of stocks because I've been doing that for about close to six years and I have a, have a, obviously have a decent track record. And uh, at some stage, maybe you know, in the next couple of these five, ten years down the road, when I got a bit more traction in terms of my early stage capital, um, venture capital or these startups, I think that's something that I'm looking to start as well. Um, I think that the best thing is that the majority of my investable net worth will be invested alongside our partners. So really taking on this 
very large responsibility of being a steward of capital really comes with great responsibility, right? I think that's something that I'm really very, 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 very excited, um, especially in the, in the, right. in the coming, coming year or so. Um, I think you brought a great point on on minority and I think like for example us being in Asia and, and I when I first started my investing journey in, in public stocks I asked myself is there someone like me in, in Singapore or, or you know that is doing like this and and I thought I was you know it is this alone person in this vacuum and I think sometimes you know you go and you go out, you go out to the to the, to the market and you seek right sometimes it can be also a um, a mindset that, that we might have and we think that oh it's just me and the but sometimes when I mean, you actually go out and seek the right people um, mm-hmm. you get to attract the right people and sometimes mm-hmm. when you when you show that so I think typically have an open mindset um, you know be open to, to network and, and I've met I managed to meet many I've actually managed to meet like two or three people who have such a similar mindset and sometimes that's all you pretty much need right um, that have serendipity. Try, try, try to go out and network. Try to meet people, and sometimes you might meet your your crowd, or you might meet your 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 group, right? And typically, what they say, right? Um, you are you are the average of your three closest people that you are that that, that you are they constantly spend the most amount of time with, right? right? And sometimes if you get towards that, you know, you get towards a a a, a better a better a better a better um future that I think you can think about. I think that's generally what um, I, 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 I love most and hope hope most people listening to this podcast um, will be able to, 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 to think about this differently. Yeah, definitely. Again, you know, relationship connections are looking, looking out for people, right? Like you mentioned that uh, share your same, your same vision and your same mission and just your same mentality as well, right? That could help at least, you know, get your, your step in, right? With, uh, with at least your first type of connections and your first, um, you know, relationships that you can build. Um, and there's a lot of people out there. We, you know, we, we we're very different in, in, in so many ways as human beings. Right. But at the end of the day, there's people just like you or just like me that share the exact same viewpoint that we share. We just need to find them. And that's, uh, you know, again, that's one of the main things that I'm trying to do with this podcast here is to expand that voice right hopefully someone out there uh, will have the same story will have the same um, um, viewpoint right and be able to use one one of these stories to um, to to be better um, and to succeed at life so that's that's my 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 main goal with this show so everyone this was Eugene Ong and he is the founder and chief investment officer at Vision Capital uh, Eugene good luck with your new phone as well uh, really excited uh, about that too for you uh, those are I'm pretty sure you're ecstatic about that too. So good luck with that. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Angel, for inviting me on the show and really looking at and I think what, what you are, your positioning of, of Minority Mavericks is, is truly exciting. And thank you. Thank you for getting me on the show. Thank you, Eugenia. I really appreciate it. And to everyone out there that's listening, this was Angel Leon, your host at Minority Mavericks. And this is the show where we tell the stories of all minority mavericks out there, entrepreneurs, founders, and investors of this world. See you next time.